0: sit comfortably. So Friday, this is our last full day of session and then half day tomorrow and this is the last Dharma talk that I give during the session. But as an introduction it was interesting that the Buddha is strewn with, sprinkled with crucifixion orchids. Intimate connection between Buddhism and Catholicism, which is a good introduction to the title of my talk. Because the title of my talk today, my last talk is always how we can then um, implement this practice back into everyday life. And the title of this talk is The Eighth Deadly Sin. (laughs) What is the eighth deadly sin? Well, the seven deadly sins are uh, envy, gluttony, greed, lust, pride, sloth, and wrath. And the eighth deadly sin is the heinous, shameful crime of busyness. you speak up, please? You can't hear me? Okay, can't hear me? Okay. The, the heinous crime of busyness. And I must confess I'm a fellow sinner. Um, but to listen to the words of uh, actually a Catholic priest who we may all know, Thomas Merton, to commit oneself to too many projects to want to help everyone in everything is to succumb to the violence of modern times. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of disease, busyness. And when we look at what is behind busyness. We may think it's driven by others, that others demand on us and are partly driven by that and by their own busyness. And everyone wants to get us caught up in the disease of busyness. Mm -hmm. But if we look within, um, what we're often driven by is the need to do. The, The drivenness to do and what the drivenness to do is driven by, in turn, is the need for identity. By being caught up in busyness, despite the external drivers, we are driven to want to maintain this sense of identity. Mm-hmm. We just keep doing, 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 doing all the time. Then we can ignore the whisperings of the heart. Mm-hmm. We could ignore just turning up to being in the presence of this empty experience of life. Mm-hmm. so we just can't superficially blame others as to why we get caught up in a business we have an investment ourselves in wanting to maintain the busy identity and um, as John Cabot Sin says it's our infidelity to time to infidelity to just keep saying yes to things all the time yes 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 mm-hmm. and that we need to cultivate a healthy relationship with time. Of course that means doing some things and sometimes it means being busy. But um, the reason why people complain in everyday life, I'm too busy to to practise in or mindfulness or whatever it might be. um, And all the busyness creates a stress that goes round and round and round and round. Where do we take responsibility for breaking that pattern? Mm-hmm. Or we just keep saying, "Oh, it's all these pressures everyone's putting on me—my mm-hmm. my boss and my family, and do you know my work, you know my my, my sporting teammates. Do you know all these obligations I've got to complete?" And we put it all out there, and it's as though we're just a, a puppet, you know, we, and 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 we're just blown around by these these circumstances. If we really look within and stop for a moment, we will see that we're driven by our need to maintain an identity. And that we're, there's sort of a, um, at least an immediate uncomfortableness with just settling in to just being. Mm -hmm. So it is in a sense um, impossible to actually take up a life of mindfulness if we're addicted to this eighth deadly sin of business. We just won't find the time to do it. It needs to be broken through. And um, what it requires, if we actually recognise that we're caught up in this habituation of busyness, is it requires in everyday life, in terms of communication, kindly, but firmly saying no to more and more invitations to busyness, very politely, very kindly saying no. And then after you've said no, then you and the other person that you've said no to has to sit in the uncomfortable silence of no (laughs) and the shock horror of no. No, no, I'm sorry, I don't want to join that committee. What? Mm-hmm. Shock, horror. Someone say no to a commitment. And you have to stay. You have to stay steady in your firmness, you know, and respond to the shock and horror <laughs> on your boss's face or your partner's face or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Zen practice is about standing firm in this moment, right? not getting pulled around, not getting blown around by the eight winds that we've talked about before so when someone asks you next time are you busy instead of saying with a sense of pride oh yeah really busy say it with a sense of shame that you're so busy Uh and where that leads on to too is you have a busy life um, it's sort of circular, but if you have a busy life or an over-busy life, and you don't have a healthy relationship to time, and you're just trying to pack everything in, then that will in turn create busy thoughts, you know, and busy speech. Right? And then, if you have busy speech, you know, busy mind, you create busy doing as well in the world. So round and round it goes wheel of samsara turns, spins yet again. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that's very important to take back from here into everyday life is not just looking at the addiction of busyness but the addictive ways in which we speak as well. Now right speech as it's known in Buddhist practice, usually refers to the content of what we're talking about. You know, that we don't use abusive language, you know, or put down language, you know, that we use kind language that's not harsh and it's appropriate to the circumstances. And that's true. That's part of what we need to look at. But one thing which is not looked at quite so clearly is The process of speech, how we speak, not just what we say. And mindless speech, the key thing to watching in in mindless speech and mindless conversation is interruption. Mm -hmm. You look at an unsatisfying conversation and it's full of interruptions. When I do couple therapy with clients, and they start interrupting each other too, a little bit is okay, but if they start interrupting each other too much, it spirals and it spirals and it spirals and, it spirals and it's a dissatisfying um, relationship counselling session for them and for me. Mm-hmm. So my job as a therapist is to point this out quite firmly and clearly, you know, when it's happening and I get one of the things I'm focusing on more and more is, is uh, teaching clients in couple therapy the skills of mindful speech. Because if you don't do that, nothing else will get resolved. I don't have to resolve their problems, really. I just have to help them have the skills to resolve their own problems. And if you don't have mindful speech and mindful listening, you will never get there. Mm-hmm. And if a couple's counselling session is just a repetition of what happens at home, with constant interrupting, then it will be dissatisfying like it is at home. But that's important for all of us. And um, again, I'm a fellow sinner too, when I reflect on it, I can interrupt as well. But when we're in a habit of interrupting others, what we're really flagging, if we really look at it, what we're really signalling, is that um, I'm more important than you and what I've got to say is more important than what you've got to say. So it's really a reflection, if we're constantly interrupting, um, of showing our own self-centeredness and our own self-absorption. And we all obviously have a need to express ourselves, um, but we also need to allow others to express themselves in a respectful kind of way. And the way that we speak, by constantly interrupting or by constantly changing subjects and not completing things and just going from one thing to another without completing a particular um, area of conversation, it's a reflection of how we interrupt ourselves. And we can notice this on on the cushion, that that we have a certain experience. Like it might be listening to the bird or it might be just following the breath or being with the pain in our body. And then we interrupt that experience with another thought that wants to go off somewhere else and another one that will interrupt that another one that will interrupt that. And so the, the enemy of mindfulness is in a sense the interrupting mind. It just can't stay with one full experience. It's just this. Just walking just experiencing the breath, just hearing the blow fly, we interrupt and go on to something else. So our speech patterns are often really just a reflection of how we actually relate to ourselves. And if we can break that pattern internally, you know, in the way that we um, practice with mindfulness just to be with each moment, then hopefully if we can do that, it can flow on to the way that we actually express ourselves. Now, also, there may actually be a time for interrupting others. I'll give you an example. And this is where Mon Duceri's sword comes into play in everyday life, You know, cutting off delusion. But I remember a time once um, where I went to a, a neighbor's place up the road for a cup of tea. And they're they're very nice people, I really like them. And they had a guest there who was a woman who just, from the very beginning that I came and just dominated the conversation, like no one else could talk. And she didn't, sometimes people talk a lot because they're um, anxious, you know, and they want want to fill in the silence. But in this particular case, this woman didn't appear to be particularly anxious. She was just holding forth. And talking about meaningless things that really didn't have much um, interest to other people like the dress she was going to buy and what a kids' school she went to, and what she had for breakfast and etc., and etc. Et and it just sort of went on and on. And after a while, I thought, well, this is rather self-absorbed. So I got over my polite training and interrupted and changed the conversation on to what other people wanted to talk about as well. So sometimes there may be a wise place for interruption, but generally for all of us we can get into the habit of not listening to others enough or engaging others in a dialogue mm-hmm, and exchange and it becomes very one sided. And if we recognise that we do that, you know, it takes character to recognise that we do that, that we're caught in that pattern and to free ourselves from it. If you look at the seven deadly sins, all of them have their opposite or their antidote. So obviously the the antidote of pride would be humility or modesty in one's achievements. (coughs) Or the antidote to envy would be having sympathetic joy in the achievements and happiness of others. And so, with the eighth deadly sin of busyness, its antidote is playfulness. Mm -hmm. play. Now, mindful play. Mm -hmm. Not mindless play, but mindful play. And the two can go together. And when we really... One of the things we understand through insight in Zen practice, and this comes through in... In actually, the practice of Cohen study too, if you take it in the right spirit, is that the nature of the universe is that it's just a play of energy. That's what it is. It's just a play and an interchange of energy. The wind blowing, the trees growing, you know, um, the birds singing, us breathing—all, everything is a play of energy, and it's the—it's part of the the nature of the inside of the Buddha's inside to actually see that, that it's all play. And when you see that everything is all play and you have no self, then you don't take yourself seriously anymore. Because part of ego identification and identity is actually taking ourselves too seriously. and we realise there's not a self to take seriously, then the playfulness emerges. And so uh, to be released from the drivenness of busyness is to fall into play and it's important that we can, we can have time for play. We knew how to play as children, you know, we were, we were connected to that energy and then we lost it by becoming too serious about ourselves and becoming too busy. And those of you who have children know what it's like to enjoy having children because they draw us back in to that place of playfulness again. They demand it of us, right, that we join them in their play. Speaking of play, um, I accidentally came across when I was reading a Dharma talk of another um, American Zen teacher who I don't actually know, but I enjoyed his Dharma talk. And at the end of it, he gave this thing, this little excerpt from his everyday life, which didn't seem to have anything to do with the Dharma talk, but it was kind of good anyway. It was a Dharma talk in itself. <laughs> and um, he, he described this little scenario that happened in the kitchen of his home. And he has he's married with a wife and he's got two granddaughters and they were preparing a meal in the kitchen, and the oldest granddaughter, who was about 10, said, um, Grandma, um, could I have some ice cream now? Because I'm really hungry, do you know, and I really need some ice cream. And Grandma said, well, we, we usually have ice cream after the main meal, do you know, so once we've had the main meal, you know, you can have the ice cream. But she persisted and she said, yes, but Grandma, I'm really hungry now. You know? and if I had some ice cream now, I wouldn't be hungry anymore, so I really need some ice cream. And Grandma said, yeah, but you, know, you do it after, after dinner. Now, at this point, youngest granddaughter became very interested in this conversation <laughs> and what the outcome might be, um, because there was some um, invested self-interest, possibly in the future, about having ice cream. Then what Grandma did when she was asked another time, she said, "Well, maybe you'd better ask Grandpa about that." <laughs> and Grandpa, after, commented on this and said, "That was the smoothest quarterback pass <laughs> to me that I've ever seen." Or in rugby, when we used to play rugby, we would call it a hospital pass. A hospital pass is when you were going to get tackled to someone else so they could get smashed as well. But so grandma you know, did a hospital pass to grandpa. You do it, right? grandpa. Um, and so grandpa was asked and he said the same thing. Well, you know, you have, you have ice cream after you've had dessert. And his little granddaughter, you know, kids pick up words which they used, you know, for a while. And the word that she picked up in her playgroup was, get a grip. So she said to Grandpa, get a grip, Grandpa. So Grandpa did. you know what Grandpa did? Grandpa gripped the ice creams tightly in each hand and did a little dance around the kitchen. That's what he did. And then the girls laughed their head off. And that was the end of the matter. Skillful means. Playing with skillful means in everyday life. Mm-hmm. Instead of getting into this antagonism, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. The playfulness just cut through. Now, to come back to serious Zen practice, one of the serious matters in Zen practice is the work of Dogen Zenji, at least how academic scholars approach it anyway, but it's not our our way of approaching it. But my advice to you, if you ever come across a Dōgen scholar, is run for your life, Mm -hmm. because Dōgen scholars will try to entrap you in serious scholastic matters of interpreting Mm Dōgen and will tell you all the errors of your way. Mm -hmm. And if you get caught up in the tangled you know, conceptualizations of Dogen, you will lose precious time playing, going sailing or bushwalking, you know, or playing music. So don't get caught up in Dogen scholars. But please get caught up with Dogen, because if you really understand Dogen, you will realize that he's playing with words, and he enjoys playing with words. And there is one of his sutras, which is called the Mountains and Rivers Sutra, and he says, as well as many other things in that sutra, the green mountains are always walking. Mountains walking is just like humans walking. Accordingly, do not doubt the mountains walking. It's a kind of koan. And truly, what I said before, uh, with koan study, there's an aspect that some people are interested in, some are not, that's fine. There's no, no pressure that anyone should do it. But when, when we sit here in Sazam, we all look very serious, don't we? Mm-hmm. Um, but koan study is actually a, an opportunity to play. Right? And you play with koans. And once you get the spirit of koans, you play with koans. And the teacher plays with you. Take it too seriously, like I did for about the first five years of my life. And you just think of it as a, as a, an exercise in passing something, um, and it's all very grim. It's actually playful. So when we go back into our everyday lives, it's important that we we don't get addicted to busyness, and we have an opportunity to play with the essential energy of life. And um, the follow-on from Dobin's, um words about mountain, mountains and rivers and mountains walking, there was a man I knew from years ago from um, Bodie Farm in northern New South Wales, and I forget his name now. But he was the founder of a, an ecological organisation, Deep Ecology Organisation, called the Council of All Beings, Mm -hmm. and in his writing he was fond of using this um, saying, the rocks are dancing, Mm -hmm. playful music words, the rocks are dancing, like the mountains are walking. Now recently um, I and Diana um, had a chance to play by being on holidays in Ireland and Scotland. And I had a chance to play with words, so I wrote two poems, two poems in two weeks—a bit of a record for me. <laughs> you might have read my other poem about County Clare, but here's another poem, which is on the on the theme of dancing as well. And, uh, a modern Zen teacher has his devices. Not <laughs> all uh, crusty books. It's a bit sad. Hmm. So this, this poem is called um, The Old Man of Storr, S-T-O-R-R. A little bit of background. The Old Man of Storr is a rock formation, famous rock formation on the Isle of Skye in Scotland. And it's a tall, tall pinnacle of rock. Somewhat like similar... Have you ever seen the, um, the Twelve Apostles down on the bike? Sort of similar to that tall rock, rocks like that. And they're very, very dramatic. And, and the, um, so I believe the, the quintessential experience of going to the Isle of Skies to see the dawn rays of the sun hitting the old man of Storr during the early hours of the dawn. I didn't get up early enough for that, but apparently very beautiful, but we did see it. And also um, to make you familiar with it, with a particular word, which you may or may not be familiar with, is the word anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism is to project human qualities or human characteristics onto non-human things or inanimate things. So hence, the old man of store is an example of it. So, anyway, this poem, or a play of words. On a moonlit night, on the Isle of Skye, the old man of store let out a great sigh. His body was stiff, and his heart was sore, and he felt the weight of the burden he bore. How long have I stood here as the old man of stone, a rock of the ages overlooking the sea? It's enough to make an old man groan the way they have anthropomorphized me. Well, I tell you what, I'm sick of the lot. I'm tired of being the door old Scot. So he grew some stone arms and he grew some stone legs and he strode down the mountain and he grew a stone head. He stopped and he sat and he pondered a while and then his face cracked open with a mischievous smile. I've heard of this newfangled dance they call rock. Uh, well, I'll show them all how a rock can rock. I'll show them all a little bit about rhythm and turn the tables on anthropomorphism. So he marched off to Portree for a night on the town to immerse himself in rivers of sound. At first he heard fiddles and whistles and pipes That attracted the more traditional types But he bypassed that for the loudest bar And opened the door to drums and guitars The dance floor beckoned And off he went twirling, toing and froing And spinning and swirling He danced with the lassies He danced the night long Drunk on the joy of music and song but the time passed quickly and the sun would soon rise and he remembered something about wealthy and wise he trundled back home to his place on the pinnacle feeling revived and somewhat less cynical and there he took up his dignified stance content in his heart that an old rock can dance Thank you. Mm -hmm.